matter what hour your clock strikes, here it's always Halloween, and I'm always your haunted host, Luce Tomlin Brenner. Welcome to Small Frights Friday! On these very special episodes, I like to read a curated selection of calls from our All Hallows hotline and letters from our eek mailbag. How are all of my Luceo lanterns doing out there in Halloween land? I personally have just recovered from having a computer meltdown and Isaac and I having a mild yet very irritating bout of COVID. So January, I'm done with. January has never been my favorite month. And the fact that I had COVID the day that Scream 5 got released, ooh, I was furious. So disappointed. Had to stay off the internet. (laughs) Can you imagine? Uh, And just having to watch it a week late. I know that's a very trivial thing. I feel very lucky that we're okay and it was a pretty mild case. But when you look forward to something for a year or more, and then you have it on your calendar and you're like, it's the the night, we're going to have such a special time. And then you have to cancel all your plans and you can't do the thing. It just kind of hurts your heart a little bit, you know? It's a disappointment. But we are, our period of being quarantined has ended we both feel good now we went and saw scream this weekend i really loved it isaac really loved it we had a lot of fun we laughed a lot i screamed a few times i was very surprised and overall i thought it was a really good sequel or requel for those of you out there who have seen it I'd love to hear what you think. Send me your thoughts and what else you've been doing to make winter feel a little more Halloween-y. I read several Edgar Allan Poe stories while I was sick, just laying in bed. And I hope you got to uh, listen to our episode last week of The Mask of the Red Death. I hope it brought you a little bit of creepy crawly joy. And I announced this on Instagram, but I haven't gotten a chance to talk about it in the podcast space yet. But for now, I will be releasing all new episodes of the podcast on Fridays. So we're officially sticking with once a week episode releases for now. I know it's been like that for a little bit, but in the back of my mind, I was always working back up to doing two episodes a week. I love doing two episodes a week. I love the idea of having a history episode and a call-in episode, but I eventually had to face the fact that the only reason I was able to keep up with that schedule was because of our lockdown and I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything. And I was just working all day, every day of the week. And I kind of plunged myself into work as to not completely lose my mind due to the terrifying aspect of a pandemic. If I get the opportunity to work on this podcast full time in the future, I would love to work back up to two days a week. But for now, We will release history episodes, small fright episodes, and story episodes all on Fridays. And occasionally there will be off days and the podcast won't come out that week because it's one of four jobs that I juggle and I'm still a one-woman show behind the microphone. So 
sometimes research doesn't come together. Sometimes I have computer problems. Sometimes I get really depressed. Other times I get sick. I'm just one person, no company doing my best. So all of that to say, if you have a question or a concern, I'm so easy to get a hold of. I give out the email and the phone number every week. So just uh, reach out and come to me with your concerns. And don't leave a one-star review because you're upset about the amount of episodes that are coming out. I can't help that. I'm not Wondery. But if Wondery would love to hire the podcast, please, I would love to be there for you, Wondery. But even without some fancy schmancy network, we are doing pretty freaking great because we are totally, completely supported by our very own community-driven Patreon ghoul gang. That's right. Our ghouls produce every single episode of It's Always Halloween, and you wouldn't be getting me even once a week without all of their support. We actually have a brand new patron with us this week. I'm defrightfully happy to welcome Caitlin Bemis. Thank you so much for joining and helping It's Always Halloween stay independent, ad-free, and sustainable, Caitlin. You are our 94th patron, which is incredible. We've been hovering now in the go-go 90s for a couple of months, and it is my dream to push us over 100 patrons because I want to grow our community and I want to meet more of you. So how can we hit 100? What if we do a little trick-or-treating? So when we reach 100 patrons, I'm going to do a ghoul gang giveaway and one lucky member will snag a little Halloween bag filled with candy, podcast themed goodies, and handpick item from Halloween Town, the store here in Los Angeles, my favorite place to get Halloween goodies open all year round because of course, you know, it's always Halloween, but this won't be a one-time deal. I'm going to host a trick-or-treat giveaway for every 50 patrons we get from here on out. So listen, I've got an even better reason to join the community, okay? This week, we had our very first book club meeting, and I am riding on such a high from it still. Getting to see people's faces and actually interact, it was such a joy. I have been hating on Zoom this entire pandemic. This was the most fun thing I've done on Zoom. That includes comedy shows, that includes baby showers, that includes friends' birthdays. I'm sorry, they've all stressed me out. But this, this was really fun. There's just something about our Halloween land lanterns. Like, everybody out there is just so smart and fascinating. I loved learning other people's impressions of the book that we read this month, the Final Girl Support Group. So many people caught things that I didn't and had takeaways that really impacted my overall experience of the book. Lanterns, I'm really curious if you have had this experience. So I love to read. I was a huge reader growing up, but I have found in adulthood, it's a little harder one to find the time, of course, but because I'm interested in such niche stuff like horror and Halloween, I don't have a ton of friends that like read the same books. So sometimes reading can feel a little isolating. So if you feel that way too, and you want to connect uh, over books that you care about, you want to discuss some of the books that get recommended to us on this podcast, then you have got to sign up for the book club on Patreon. I cannot wait to meet more of you, seriously. 
our book club choice for February is really cool. I'm very excited about it. It's called Witch Hunt, A Traveler's Guide to the Power and Persecution of the Witch. Now, February will be the anniversary of the beginning of the Salem Witch Trials, which ran uh, from February to May in 1692. So I wanted to pick a book to kind of commemorate that. This is a nonfiction book, and I've been using it for research for our upcoming chapter on witches. And it's just packed with so much incredible information and such a fun read. I knew I wouldn't be able to give even a, you know, a smidge is really what you'll get on the podcast. But like, I knew you guys needed to get all the details of this book. And this one's written by a real witch who travels all over the world. And she shares really interesting, specific history from lesser known places and people who are all tied into witchcraft, tons of stuff I never heard before. So it's available everywhere. It's at small bookstores. It's at libraries. It's on audiobooks. So try to make it as accessible as possible. I hope you'll snag a copy and join us for our next virtual meeting. It's going to be on Tuesday, February 22nd at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So you can sign up at patreon.com slash it's always Halloween. Book Club is available at our $6 a month homemade popcorn balls level, which also grants you access to our community Discord server, our blog, and our Kitchen Witch recipes. And don't forget, you can also sign up annually at any level, and you get two months for free. Pretty cool deal. You get Halloween all year round. Now, speaking of witches, I got a fantastic email this week, and I am stoked to share it with you. So the subject line just says witches. Hi again, Luce. All caught up on your episodes, and I'm excited and ready to delve into all things witchy. I wanted to share one of my favorite nonfiction films about witches. It's called Haxon. For an old film, it's shockingly progressive in its assessment of witch trials throughout history. I usually watch this in March to coincide with the anniversary of the Salem trials. I get chills thinking about Giles Corey, who, rather than breaking while being tortured, pressed to death by rocks, simply said more weight. Each time his torturers would stop and ask if he was ready to confess to consorting with the devil and whatnot. That level of integrity, even under unimaginable circumstances, wow. There's so much to say about witches and quote pagans and cunning women like the propaganda against midwives in the late 1800s which was also pretty racist to boot and how they've been treated over the years and around the world you know kids are still killed for being witches in some places as a nature worshiper myself i find it telling that the alliance of capitalists and the church was frequently behind so much persecution and smear campaigns it's a lot easier to blow off the tops of mountains when they're just inert piles of rock rather than sacred living entities, just for one instance. It's something I think about a lot lately, and especially as we deal with ever-worsening effects of human-caused climate chaos. On a brighter note, I think it's also fascinating how certain things deemed fringe or mystical actually turn out to be scientifically true. For example, how some indigenous peoples would burn sage to quote, get rid of bad spirits, 
And as it turns out, sage smoke does kill bacteria in the air. Or how rosemary is used for remembrance, and there are indeed chemicals in rosemary that aid in focus and memory. Do you ever wonder how much of human history has been spent arguing over basic semantics? Blessed be T.O.B. She, her, on unceded Chumash territory. This is a fantastic email, T.O.B. Thank you so much. I love that you mentioned Haxon. I also really love this movie. It's a silent film from 1922. And for my fellow film snobs out there in Halloween land, it is available through Criterion. It's actually one of the earliest folk horror films, if not the first folk horror film. I toyed with playing it uh, uh, during our movie club nights, but I was worried that a silent film would be difficult in a kind of party group setting. So fantastic recommendation, T.O.B. I completely second it. I would love it if more people saw it. And it's very creepy in its way as well. So if the idea of watching a silent film kind of sends the wrong kinds of shivers down your spine, I think you should give Haxon a shot because it has a lot of very eerie aspects to it. And it's pretty fascinating if you're interested in witches. And what you said about how certain things that are considered magical having a element of reality or science to them reminded me of something I read in our book club selection for next month, Witch Hunt, uh, talked about one of the most powerful diviners who was in the court of Louis XIV. Her name was Catherine Monvoisin. Apologies if my three years of French in high school did not account for the pronunciation of that name. So Witch Hunt uh, here goes on to say, quote, For her high-ranking clientele, she was known to use wax images, menstrual blood, and the hearts of animals as raw materials for love spells. But urine, she believed, was best suited for banishing spells or, more specifically, getting rid of an abusive or unwanted husband. And I read that to say, I do think that there's probably some truth in using urine to get people away from you. I always hear true crime podcasts advising people to pee on themselves if they ever get kidnapped, so it's not just magic, it's good sense that Royal Witch knew what was up. Thanks so much for that fantastic eek mail, T.O.B. It's great to hear from you again, and I know you'll love our chapter on witches when it's finally ready. So, up next, we've got a call from our All Hallows Hotline. Hey, Luce, this is Mimi calling um, about your recent podcast about Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I thought you should know that uh, Edgar Allan Poe grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Um, there's a Poe Museum in Richmond uh, that also has two cats, um, two black cats named Edgar and Pluto. And the the Poe Museum is awesome to visit. They've got a bunch of Poe-themed events throughout the year. Um, there's also a Poe, uh, you can visit Poe's dorm, uh, also dubbed the Raven Room. And it's at UVA, uh, the University of Virginia, and it's taken care of by the Secret Society, the Raven Society. 
And I've also gone to a Poe-themed restaurant called the Poe's Tavern near Charleston, South Carolina. Um, that's where Poe uh, was stationed near Charleston um, after he left, um, uh, left UVA. Uh, so there's quite a few Poe memorials, museums, and restaurants to visit. I've yet to actually go to Baltimore, but he did grow up in Richmond, Virginia. He is a Virginian. <laughs> um, so I thought you all should know that that's an interesting fun fact about him. Anyway, I hope you have a good January and um, a good holiday season. Uh, stay spooky. Hello, Mimi. It is so fantastic to hear from you. We just spoke last night at book club. Mimi is a member of the Ghoul Gang. And so how perfect as a voracious reader, you call in with such fantastic information about Edgar Allan Poe. My gosh, I'm so grateful for this information. Having lived in Maryland for four years, people really claim Edgar Allan Poe in Baltimore as it's one of the several places that he lived during his life and it is where he died. So I always think of Baltimore as being like Edgar Allan Poe's whole life even though he also lived in New York and Philadelphia, and as you said, Virginia, which I never even knew that about Virginia. This is fantastic information. I looked up uh, everywhere that you talked about. I'm especially fascinated by the Poe Tavern, which I discovered there's actually several Poe's Taverns. There's one on Sullivan's Island in South Carolina, Wrightsville Beach in North Carolina, Atlantic Beach in Florida and Savannah, Georgia. I think it is so funny to picture a man all dressed in black, our goth prince, on the beach. Like, why beach? <laughs> I don't understand how the beach came to be a large part of Poe's Tavern's whole thing. That's not to say that they are not spooky. Uh, they have a really cool, I'm looking at the Pose Tavern Instagram uh, for the South Carolina location that you mentioned, Mimi, and there's a really cool portrait of him above the fireplace that's really eerie, and it looks like on Halloween they had a pumpkin carving contest. There's a lot of really fun stuff on their Instagram. I just cannot stop laughing at the idea of this man on the beach. They actually have a picture of somebody dressed up as Poe holding a book and a skull and a, in front of a gorgeous sunset, but in the sand. Goths in sand, it's just, it's difficult. Like it's, you know, all caught in the lace and the velvet. It's not good for the look. I will link to Poe's Tavern as well as the Raven Society in the show notes. A lot of really interesting history on the Raven Society on their website including this explanation by a professor of English literature, Charles Kent, in the early 1900s. He writes that a raven is omnivorous in its search for nutriment, so should a raven be relentless and broad-minded in his pursuit of knowledge. I personally keep picturing a bunch of ravens in a library and I'm like, wow, I wanna go, but I do believe these ravens are actually people. Is anyone else out there obsessed with the idea of having a raven for a pet? 
We get a lot of them in LA and they fly around our neighborhood and I read that they like peanuts and that they'll remember you if you feed them peanuts. So what is stopping me from having my very own raven friend? A trip to Trader Joe's, that's it. And finally, I am very excited about this Poe Museum and I am putting it on the list of spooky places I want to visit around the world. First of all, you need to know that this museum looks like it's in a very cozy cottage with a courtyard that is just the right amount of worn down and cozy and glamorous. Plus, it's called the Enchanted Garden. Isn't that lovely? And then the home itself is called the Old Stone House, and Edgar Allan Poe never lived there, but it is the oldest residential building in Virginia, possibly dating back to the 1700s. So like I said, it's cute. It's got that perfect amount of spooky charm to it. And last but not least, the Poe Museum cares for two cats named Edgar and Pluto. The latter named after the cat in the Poe story, The Black Cat. So that's pretty awesome. Evidently, they enjoy greeting the museum's visitors in the gift shop and in the garden. And then the website also says, please do not bring them treats. They're on a diet. Uh, I'm just picturing everyday tourists giving them like bags and bags of temptations. <laughs> And the mission of the Poe Museum is to illuminate Poe for everyone evermore. I absolutely adore that. I can't wait to check out the Poe Museum. I can't believe I didn't know it existed. Mimi, thank you so much. Oh, and last but not least, I also wanted to mention that I discovered that in Baltimore, there is a brewing company called Raven, Raven Beer. And they have all kinds of fantastic Edgar Allan Poe themed beers, one called the Annabelle White, a Belgian wit. There's the Cask, a Bavarian style double Bach, Dark Usher, a German style ale, the Pendulum Pilsner, the Raven Special Lager, the Telltale Heart IPA, and the Imp and the Madhouse Oyster Stout. Absolutely amazing. I love that. Let's get some of those on the West Coast. For you East Coasties, see if you can grab some of those beers. If you've had one before, I'd love to hear how it was. There's nothing I love like a spooky-themed beer. And they're out there, but it's few and far between enough that it's a special treat to discover a new one. There's so many of you literary Halloween heads out there. I actually got another eek mail from a lantern who was excited about Edgar Allan Poe and a TV show that's very close to my heart. So the subject line is Treehouse of Horror. Luce, I'm such a fan. You're incredible. I saw your Instagram post today about Poe, and I recognized the image you used from the best episode of The Simpsons ever. I love the Treehouse of Horror. I wrote about the literary inspiration behind this episode and one other on my substack, Pop Poetry. I thought I'd share the link in case the ghoul gang and lanterns might be interested in reading it. I'd absolutely die to have you check it out. I also did a spooky Halloween-themed post every week in the month of October. 
And I plan to do lots more coming up because I'm a huge fan of Halloween and horror. Now that message was from Caitlin and I checked out her Substack, which is poppoetry.substack.com and I'll link to it in the show notes. And she dives into this Treehouse of Horror episode in such a smart, thorough, and funny way. I want to share some of it with you because I found it to be so joyful. Uh, But first, for those of you who did not see the Instagram post, it's just a still of Bart Simpson as the Raven, and it has the quote, quote the Raven, eat my shorts on it. And I said, I might have mentioned this on the episode last week, but I was saying in the post that The Simpsons introduced Edgar Allan Poe's writing to me as a little kid. And my parents were teachers when I was growing up. So they were like, okay, you liked this episode. Now go read these books. It's based on books. This is not, The Simpsons did not make this up. (laughs) But I don't know if I would have found Edgar Allan Poe at such a young age if not for The Simpsons. So to me, it's just... Edgar Allan Poe is so intrinsically linked to Halloween because of The Simpsons, and I love watching that. I love watching, like, several Treehouse of Horror episodes every year, but The Raven is the one that I watch the most. So I was delighted to hear from Caitlin and discover that she had this same connection to this episode. And not only did she write this incredible in-depth article about it, but she also made this outrageous... Google Doc spreadsheet of all of the literary allusions in the Treehouse of Horror episodes. She says here on her substack that out of 31 episodes, 18 contain a parody of at least one novel, novella, short story, or memoir, which I think is so fascinating to just see those numbers laid out because I am a nerd above all else but I know many of you are too so that information to her article and to the spreadsheet will be in the show notes and I just want to read part of this for you so that you can get a taste for how wonderful Caitlin's writing is so she describes that uh, the episode is masterful and illustrates one of the many ways in which popular culture can meaningfully interact with poetry parody by definition imitates through humor but this doesn't always have the effect of lessening or denigrating the work being parodied parodies can comment on their source work critique it or even elevate it let's not forget that a highly accessible piece of culture like the simpsons parodying a more esoteric cultural product like 19th century poetry can also draw attention to the latter and bring it to new audiences which is exactly what happened with me and I think so many other millennials and perhaps even some younger Gen Xers as well. Caitlin goes on to write in the article, In this episode, both Poe and The Simpsons get their due. The poem maintains its integrity and The Simpsons characters still retain their attitudes and gags. As a textual medium, poetry, and narrative poetry like The Raven in particular, can sometimes be made clearer or more graspable by certain audiences in a visual medium. Having Bart act as the Raven is a genius choice. 
In Poe's poem, the bird terrorizes and haunts the narrator until he loses his mind. There is no peace in his soul as long as the raven continues his incessant refrain of nevermore. This dynamic has characterized Bart's and Homer's relationship since the show debuted in 1989. Caitlin, I could not have put it better myself. This is a beautiful, wonderful, delightful article to read. I hope all of our lanterns will go check it out. I'm excited to read more of your writing, and I'm so happy that Poe and the Simpsons brought us together. What a treat. Thanks for reaching out, Caitlin. Thanks for your incredible work. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast, and of course... Calabanga. I would love to hear how Edgar Allan Poe or The Simpsons impacted your life out there, Lantern. Give us a call at 802-532-DEAD and let us know. Or you could always drop us an email by writing to It's Always Halloween Podcast at gmail.com. As I said at the top of the episode, if you love It's Always Halloween, please subscribe on Patreon and help us continue to grow this community and produce new episodes. You can click the Patreon link in our show notes or visit patreon.com slash it's always Halloween and join us for book club, movie club, ghost stories, kitchen witch. There's so much happening on the Patreon and you don't want to miss it. You could also support the podcast by buying It's Always Halloween swag on Redbubble. That link is in the show notes as well. This episode of It's Always Halloween was performed by me, Luce Tomlinbrenner, with help from your fellow lanterns, including Mimi, T.O.B., and Caitlin. Thanks so much for your wonderful contributions. The editing, theme music, and sound design is by the perfect Pete Burns. Thanks, Pete. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at LTB Comedy and Pete in those places at Mittenberries. And the podcast is on Instagram at It's Always Halloween Podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and write us a little review so that other like-minded ghouls can find us. It actually makes a huge difference and pushes us up in the algorithm. And we have not gotten a new review since December. So let's ring in the new year with a couple of short and sweet sentences about why you love the podcast. Just consider it a free and easy way that you can help me and Pete out. We're also available on the NPR One app, so you can subscribe there and tell Ira Glass that you love us. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of It's Always Halloween, and come back next time, unless you eat the raven shorts. Yeah.